On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and movie DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Welcome to Episode 5 of On Screen and Beyond. I'm Brian Zemrak. How you doing? And uh, we have a lot of things coming your way, and we have to let you know that uh, we have a winner in our Fallen Angels DVD contest, and I'll let you know who that is in just a few minutes. And also, we have an interview coming up later on with Edie McClurg, the voice of Minnie in the Disney Pixar movie Cars. Uh, she was also on WKRP in Cincinnati as Herb Tarlick's wife. Uh, she was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off and uh, many, many more movies and TV shows. And uh, we have all sorts of other things coming away. A lot of information on different me- remakes, sequels, uh, movies coming out, possible mu- movies coming out, and also what's coming out on DVD and movies in the future. All right, so we're going to start right off, uh, first off, letting you know who the winner of our contest was. We had a contest going on, and you had a chance to win a Fallen Angels DVD, which is a Warner Brothers release, horror slasher movie. And uh, the lucky winner of that was Joshua Vozda of Florida. All right, so we want to congratulate Joshua on that. And uh, we're going to have some more contests coming your way, but uh, haven't figured out what we're going to do yet or gotten any connections so I could get some more things to give away, but uh, we'll, we'll have something coming your way. So uh, keep listening, and we'll see what we can come up with. And let's see here. Uh, it's just about time now. Uh, oh, yes, want to remind you to go to the website if you'd like, and uh, we have um, a poll that's up there, and you can take the poll and uh, just... We, we change it. I'll ch- I'm going to leave this one on right now that's up there for a while, and... Uh, We'll keep that there for until the next show, and I'll give you the results of that. So we'll keep it up for about two shows, and then uh, we'll give you the results and put up a new one. So we're going to be getting right into the remakes. Remake Madness coming up next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Please hang up and try again. Here we are on Episode 5, and Remake Madness just keeps going on and on and on. When I first started doing this, I kind of wondered, you know... Uh, we got to be able to keep talking about remakes, uh, you know, every show. It's kind of, are they going to have that many? Well, old Hollywood is, keeps them coming. we got remakes coming out of our ears here. Okay, we're going to start off with Beethoven, the 1990s uh, movies with, uh, who was it, Charles Grodin, I think it was. They made three different show, movies of that, I guess, and um, they're going to redo that. Uh, it's about the dog, Beethoven. There's no date on that yet. But uh, also, they're going to be remaking, sort of, the Equalizer, that was a TV show from uh, 1985, coming out sometime in 2009. They're remaking that into a movie. So that's, uh, if those of you that like that show, I doubt very much that, uh, you know, the original star will be in that, but it's possible. Who knows? Also, in 1984, remember the movie Chud? Well, they're remaking it. Why? I have no idea. <laughs> and, of course, it's going to be Rob Zombie who's going to be redoing it. Uh, Rob Zombie seems to be doing a lot of horror flicks remakes and uh, just making them that much bloodier and everything else but uh, uh, Chud is sort of a cult horror movie and uh, that's those of you that are into the cult horror movies you'll probably be looking forward to that and uh, here's another one that's sort of got cult status Friday the 13th 
Jason's going to return once again in a remake. It sounds like it might be a sequel, you'd think, but no, they're going to go back and redo it, okay? They've, they've had, you know, a lot of uh, sequels to Friday the 13th, but now they've decided, well, we're going to start over and do it all over again. <laughs> and that's coming out in 2008. And that just about does it for Remake Madness at this time. And we'll have some more coming up in the next show. Right now, it's time for more sequels coming up on On Screen and Beyond. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, in the sequel segment uh, at Sequel City, it looks like Jack Nicholson, who made Chinatown 33 years ago, and The Two Jakes 17 years ago, looks like he's interested in making a sequel to those films. And uh, there's no release date on that. It's all perspective and everything. But it uh, looks like Jack might be doing it once more after all these years. Uh, one thing to remember that everything we tell you on this show, um, they're possible that they're going to be made they may not be made they could start making them they could stop making them they could be shelved who knows what they could do because these are in the early stages so you don't really know for sure what's going to happen they usually do but you never know what's going to happen for sure also uh poltergeist 4 is in the works even though the studios are even planning to make a remake of poltergeist all right so they might be making a remake and a sequel all in one shot who knows uh, not necessarily the same production companies but that looks like what they're going to be doing and uh, that's kind of a strange thing to do but uh, that's uh, that's the way it goes and um, that's it for sequels at this time and we'll be coming back with new movies that are in the works coming up on On Screen and Beyond <laughs> Alright, new movies coming your way. Looks like about a year from now, in December of 2008, Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon are going to be in a movie called Four Christmases. And it's about a couple struggling to visit all four parents of the, who have been divorced and everything during the Christmas season. And uh, that's a Vince Vaughn, Reese Witherspoon comedy coming up in a year from now. Alright, and uh, let's see, what else do we have? Drill Bit Taylor. An Owen Wilson comedy, a new one for him, and that's coming out on March 21st, 2008. And also, Johnny Depp is coming, because uh, he's in Sweeney Todd right now, but uh, he's going to star in Public Enemies. It's a drama set in Chicago during the Depression, and he'll play the notorious gangster John Dillinger. And there's no release date on that yet, but that's a new one for Johnny Depp coming your way. Also, Kung Fu Panda. It's an animation well, 3D animation, with the voices of Jack Black, Dustin Hoffman, Angelina Jolie, and Jackie Chan. That's going to be coming out June 6th of 2008. And also, this one here, this one, I could have put this in a lot of different places because it could be a remake, it could be a sequel. Um, it's hard to say what it's going to be, 
but what it is, it's the Munsters. That's right, the TV show from the 60s is going to be made into a movie. Well, they've done movies of that, so I guess this could be a remake, I guess you could call it. That's why it's a little confusing what category to put it in. But it's being done by the Wayne Brothers. Uh, they won't be in the movie, or at least starring in the film. They're just going to be writing it and taking care of getting the movie put on. I'm not sure if they're directing or producing, but uh, they are going to be writing it. Uh, that's still in the rumor stages, of course, but uh, looks like uh, old Herman the Monster will be coming our way once again on the big screen. And uh, let's see, we're going to be getting into movies coming out on DVD right here on On Screen and Beyond. All right, those of you that are waiting for movies to come out on DVDs, first off, Saw 4 is coming out on January 22nd, 2008. On February 5th, 2008, Across the Universe. Now, that's the one about the uh, it's sort of a... Beatles music that people are singing the Beatles music and it's sort of a psychedelic type movie I guess uh, I didn't really haven't seen it but uh, uh, they were different uh, critics saying that it was good some say it was bad but uh, I don't know but uh, it's, a, it's a lot of Beatles music in it so and also on February 5th Disney is coming out with uh, the Aristocats alright they'll be putting that back out again um, as a, I'm, I don't know, it'll probably be a two-disc two release, I'm not really sure, but uh, that seems what their next version is, you know, because they come out with the limited and then the classic, and then, I don't know, they've had so many different versions of these movies being put out over time, but this one is the Aristocats on um, February 5th, all right? And then on March 4th, about a month after that one comes out, Disney comes out with 101 Dalmatians, uh, special edition, and uh, there again, uh, they keep releasing these every so many years and everything, so that's coming your way. Um, oh, on January 22nd, I forgot to mention that the game plan is coming out on DVD, and uh, you might want to pick that one up if you like that movie. And if you're wondering what's coming out on DVD for TV shows, there's a slew of them coming out. Barb Newhart, his show Newhart, is the first season is coming out on February 26, 2008. All 22 episodes of Season 1 will be coming out. And uh, then on February 5th, look for Beauty and the Beast. Now, this is Season 3 of Beauty and the Beast, not the cartoon of uh, Disney's, but uh, the TV show. And uh, it's the last season, all right? It's the third season. It's also their last season. And uh, that will be coming out as a three-disc set, and it's starring Ron Perlman and Linda Hamilton. And coming out on February 12th, the cartoon George of the Jungle. If you remember that show, that's coming out. It's a two-disc set. Uh, it's also going to be having Super Chicken and Tom Slick. All right? So there's 374 minutes of fun, and it'll include the never-before-seen pilot episodes of George of the Jungle and Super Chicken. So that ought to be a sort of little kick there. And The Equalizer, which I mentioned earlier as being made into a movie, is coming out for season one. So they're probably getting a little kick in there to try to get things started. But season one of The Equalizer will be coming out on February 12th, a five-disc set DVD starring Edward Woodward, as uh, the private detective Robert McCall. And coming out on March 18, 2008, Sergeant Preston, The Complete Collection, is coming out. Remember that one with the dogs and everything? Uh, he was uh, the uh, Royal Mounted Police, and uh, that was a show from the 50s, 60s era. 
And uh, The Fugitive Season 1, Volume 2, comes out on February 26th. 2008. And in the rumor section of TV shows coming out on DVD, uh, possibly coming out the spring of 2008 sometimes, The Tales of the Gold Monkey with Stephen Collins, that was sort of like an Indiana Jones type show that they uh, made into a TV show, you know, they tried to work off the Indiana Jones thing. But uh, that show is going to be possibly coming out in the spring of 2008. And Andy Griffith is coming out with Salvage One. All right. If you remember that show, he was the head of a salvage company who, uh, in one of the episodes, the first episode, I guess it was, uh, it was um, he was going to go to the moon to salvage equipment that was up there, and he makes the spaceship out of uh, salvage stuff and everything. Uh, Isaac Asimov was uh, the show's science advisor, so that was kind of a neat thing. And uh, the 1979 show lasted one season and could be released in 2008. And that's about it for TV shows coming out on DVD. Coming up next, we have our interview with Edie McClurg right here on On Screen and Beyond. Welcome once again to On Screen and Beyond, and my guest today is Edie McClurg. I could go through a list of the TV shows and movies and voiceovers that uh, she's done, but just to name a few, it's Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Back to School, Jimmy Neutron, Grandma Taters, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yes. And uh, CSI, Cars, of course, and uh, even back to WKRP. Oh, yes. Um, and Edie My McClurg. first film was uh, Carrie. The Brian De Palma, oh. Sissy Spacek movie. Oh, I was one I of the girls that. in the high school clique. And uh, I had uh, just come to California after being a teacher at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, in speech and radio. And uh, I have a master's degree from Syracuse. And uh, the casting woman said, don't tell Brian that you have a master's that you used to teach at the university. You just have to be this high school senior. And I said, Okay. <laughs> so I just became the ditheriest uh, girl. Had no lines in the film, in the script. and uh, But I was an improviser and had been for several years by that time. And um, so he started depending on me to improvise things that would go into the scene that was already written. And uh, that was my first experience. I thought, oh, this is the way you get to be in the movies. <laughs> now, had I you didn't... intended to... to... Did it, was your goal to be in movies, or did it just sort of come on over? I was uh, on my vacations from the radio station in Kansas City. I was come out to San Francisco to uh, play with a group called the Pitchell Players, which was an outgrowth of the committee, which is very famous improvisers. And I just loved that form of theater and uh, got to do little you know, scenes with them, and I kept trying to find a radio job in San Francisco so I could just play with them on the weekends. And by the time I got a job in Stockton, they had moved to Los Angeles, where the Improv Club is now, and uh, they had hired another woman to take someone's place who couldn't move from San Francisco. And so I went down to L.A. Uh, after my job uh, interview, in Stockton at the University of the Pacific and they had in effect offered me the job in Stockton 
So I just went to L.A. to see them do their preview performance, and they said, well, the woman, woman we hired to replace Mary is ill tonight, and uh, do you want to do the second half of the show? And I did an improvised scene that was pretty funny about terrorists taking over her Denny's. This is 1974, so we were quite prescient. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so I said to my brother, we could be tourists and they'll be terrorists, and we're both in Denny's in the middle of the night, and so there could be two levels to the scene. And they thought that was pretty clever, and the next day the, two of the guys from the company came around the corner to where I was staying, and they said, listen, the woman we hired to take Mary's place came down with rheumatoid arthritis and cannot walk and can't use her hands, so we have to replace her immediately. Do you want to be in the company? So I had to make a decision. I was on a career path with NPR and doing things regularly for all things considered from the middle of America, and they depended on me for that homespun, you know, unusual bent. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought, well, I'll manage this station, and then eventually I'll go to the network. And then they said, do you want to be an actress for 75 bucks a week? I thought, if I don't do it now... I'll never do it. True. And if I fail, I can go back to radio. I could find a job anywhere in this country based mm -hmm. on what I had done already. So I thought, okay. You know, I went home, sold almost everything I owned, packed up a U-Haul trailer, and my dad hauled it out to L.A. And within a year, I was making a living doing commercials and... I was getting a career uh, boost through improv, and people started to hire me to do it. And it's one of it, you could say, is it serendipity or is it uh, you're this is going to happen? You know, yeah. no matter what you do, eventually you're going to be here. And it it just seemed that it was um, predestination of a kind. Uh, your performances, you always seem to be having so much fun. Did uh, when you first started, was it like are they going to pay me for this? You know, is it that type of thing? <laughs> you know, well, they're going to pay me to have fun. <laughs> I don't know. the The state of Missouri uh, denied my interstate uh, unemployment claim uh, because I left a high paying job that I'd been in for eight years to take a very low paying job voluntarily. And they and I and I went to the office and I said they denied my claim and I'm sitting there crying and the woman is saying, "Well, you can file an appeal." I said, "I don't know what I would say. What would I say?" And and she said, "Well, I can't tell you what to say, but here's a question: Did you leave a higher-paying job to take a job where you would eventually make more money?" Uh, in the new career, and I said, "Oh yes, yes, exactly." <laughs> but you couldn't, and so I wrote out, "You couldn't expect me to leave a career that I'd been in for ten years and make more money in a new career where I'd just become." Right. And uh, so I got sixty-eight bucks a week from the state of Missouri for the first year I was in LA, and my rent was one hundred and thirty a month in the Fairfax district. A lot of very safe old uh, Hungarian babushkas sitting there, seeing who goes in and out of my apartment and making sure that I got home at night and where am I. And so it was like I moved into a family of um, uh, Orthodox Jews. <laughs> this little Irish girl from Kansas City. So 
<laughs> I was taken care of. I was. I feel like I had a protective angel around me most of my life because I've been in some very strange uh, situations, you know, through the, the theater and and uh, movies and yeah. I, I don't know. There are just a lot of people who like me and uh, they want to see me do well. And I can't think of any better way to be. Of course, there are some, you know, crap heads also in the business who will take advantage of you and give you nothing for, you know, your crea- creation. And, um, you know, they eventually meet their comeuppance. Yeah. If not here in this life, right. <laughs> in another one. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see them burn in hell. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Along with Carrie White. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good move. Um, another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now, with the improv, that always seems very difficult to just jump into something and, and I, I just saw you last week in uh, on tv on uh, thank god you're here mm-hmm. and i would have voted for you but thank you <laughs> um the, uh do you enjoy the improv atmosphere and there's nothing better when you're clicking with another person on stage and there's no script and you're trying to achieve you know what you're trying to achieve and and they're with you there's nothing better and uh, I studied I was one of the last people to study with Viola Spolin who created all of the improv games upon which Second City the Groundlings Upright Citizens Brigade all of everybody in improv owes Viola Spolin because she came up with these games when she was working during the depression in Hull House in Chicago with uh, underprivileged kids and uh, it was a horrible time and kids need to process what's happening to them. And through games, through play, she was able to heal a lot of kids. Well, her son, Paul Sills, was always around because she was a single mother, so she'd take him with her to Hull House. And he learned, he played the games with the kids because he grew up playing the games. She was a very intuitive person, and it's Intuitive Learning Systems is the name of the the website about her work. And so her son then went to the University of Chicago, and he met some really smart uh, poli-sci majors, uh, philosophy majors, English majors, and uh, they created, uh, he just started playing the games with them, but they were high-level, very smart games. You know, and it made them laugh. You know, they yeah. would make uh, Nietzsche jokes and all have a big laugh. So uh, then out of that came the Compass Players. He got the group of them together. They started doing little shows. And that became then Second City. So, and out of Second City came the committee in San Francisco, the the uh, pro, pro improv, the Provisional Theater in Boston. I mean, it, everything grew out of that. And mm-hmm. the there was a stage manager with the committee in San Francisco, and then he moved to L.A. and started the Groundlings. And so all of the... It, it's all 
interconnected. And there's a book about how improv became a real theater uh, mainstay, and it's called Something Wonderful Right Away is the name of that book. And that gives you the whole history of how improv began. And now... Uh, all of my lines in Carrie were improvised because there were no lines for me. So yeah. then, you know, Brian became involved in seeing how I worked and, you know, had me say words. Yeah. And those were my words because there were no lines. I was right about boy on a bicycle, <laughs> you know, at the very end of the credits. And the boy on the bicycle was Brian's nephew. <laughs> Connections, right? Yes. <laughs> Oh, so it's uh, it, the journey has been long and varied, and uh, it's been really uh, what I would call one of the finest American films is A River Runs Through It, and uh, Robert Redford hired yep. me for that. That was a long process. It was na- nail biting, and it's one of those things you just you go and have the interview, but you don't tell anybody about it because you really, really want it. And you don't want anybody asking you about it if you don't get the job. So I just kept it under wraps and until I had the job, and then I was able to tell my friends and family because it was uh, it was a process. And I had auditioned actually to pay, play the mother of Brad Pitt and Craig Sheffer, and for three weeks I'd heard nothing. And uh, we'd had a nice conversation about how these boys and this family worked. Uh, in his in Redford's office, and he um, he talked to me about how young people today uh, have a different relationship with their parents, and that they can talk about things a lot of you know. And the young people coming into audition were asking, "Well, why don't they just sit down and talk about this?" <laughs> he said, "They just don't understand." I said, "Oh." I know what you mean. If we were having a family occasion and my mother would pick up the hem of her apron and study the stitching and go, <clears throat> you knew, drop the topic because it was embarrassing to her, didn't want to have any more discussion about it. And he said, my God, my Uncle Jim, he used to do that. If he didn't like what was being said, he would cross his legs and wipe at lint on his pants that wasn't there yeah. and it, he said I was 8 years old and I said mom Uncle Jim's rubbing that uh, there's nothing on his pants he keeps rubbing his pants and he, and he said that his mother shut him up right away and uh, and he said I never thought about that that he was deflecting he was you know trying to get us off the topic by wiping it away yeah. literally off his pants Huh. And he said, that's amazing that you you figured that out. So he we connected. Mm-hmm. And originally I was not going to get to meet him. The casting director was a wonderful French woman named Elisabeth Lustig, and she has since died, uh, but she was a real champion of good actors. And um, I met with her. I read for her. Then she said, well, we will put you on tape and show it to Mr. Redford. And uh, and I said, I have to stop you right there because I don't do very well in a fluorescent lit room on, on a videotape. I don't come across well. If I could only meet him, I think I could have a chance at this. And she said, oh, I don't know. He only comes down three days a week from Utah. 
and we don't have our boys yet. We don't have our, our lead characters. We only have so much time with him. I said, please, if you can make it happen, I would be so grateful. This means so much to me. And it's the first time I've ever like hockered, <laughs> you know, at somebody yeah. and. Uh, and she brought me in because we did, you know, have a nice connection okay. personality-wise. And uh, so in talking with him, I made a connection to him, too. Now, three weeks later, he said, I'm turning you down for the mother of the boys, but I want you to play the mother of uh, Emily Lloyd, who's the girl that he, Craig Sheffer's character, gets engaged and eventually married to. And he said, it's because you have too much joy to play that sad mother. And you have, and you are the center of what changes Craig to know, Craig's character to know that you can live a different way. And it was the best turn down I've ever had in my <laughs> life. And a lot of what I do in A River Runs Through It is also improvised. All the stuff at really? that train station where I'm saying, oh, Father, here he is. And here's my son. And he gets down off that. I say, oh, he looks a little thin, don't you think? And then we're going to go on home. And I say, well, I've got chicken salad sandwiches in the car. And we have roasting chickens at home. And I got, your, I got some cherries from Mrs. Miller uh, for your favorite pie and uh, you know we didn't put up enough cherries this year all of that noise of life I call it mm -hmm. yeah. is was all improvised and I said Robert if at any point you want me to dampen it down or not say this stuff you, you'll let me know he says of course I will it's fine go ahead yeah. <laughs> and a lot of the stuff in the house right after that was just me feeling, you know, the way my mom would yeah, do. It just you know, makes to, it so natural. Yeah, yeah, to try and make everybody feel comfortable and comment on, you know, and not, and there, of course, the elephant is in the room, which is my son who has a drinking problem and he's a failed actor and trying to put up a front, you know, and I'm trying to keep him from going and drinking, basically. When I say, oh, maybe you could go fishing with Norman. So that was a written part, but all of the other stuff was he hits the dog, and I get really upset, but I don't want to get angry at him in front of everybody, but I look to my daughter. Those moments, you know, it's just like we've got to keep him from going and drinking, you know, and he does eventually just go and get plowed, but it's... Uh, I had to kind of argue with Robert about me not being totally funny all the way through that scene, that I ha you had to show the mother having concern. So I had to fight for some close-ups that were just me by myself because he had me with a, a woman who was uh, bumped up from an extra from Billings, Montana, and she was just used to being background in movies. So, And she had these light blue children of the corn eyes, and I knew that if we were on screen together... Nobody was going to see me or hear me because these eyes and these big bags under her eyes. I mean, she was a ravaged soul. Mm -hmm. But nobody would be paying attention to me if we were in a two-shot. So I had to argue for a close-up in front of everybody. Everybody in the cast. Huh. And it was it was hard. And we were on a meal penalty, you know. We were going to have meal penalty if we didn't get done in two minutes. And he says, I don't know which side of the lens you need to be looking because we're going round in this room. So you got one shot this way and you got one take this way. 
and the second take, several of those shots made it into the film. Hmm. I'm so proud of that. Because <laughs> so, so it's hard. The improv is it's your roots, and you seem to use it not just as improv. You're using it in the films, and and oh yeah, that, are you able to do that on like a TV show, or is that more structured? Uh, I like, have, yeah. You have. You know, it's it's the, what I call the noise of life. I said, if this works for you, you know, yeah. that'll help us get us, you know, from here to the door. Yeah. You know, and they write it down and it goes in the script. And when you do your voiceovers, do you get the ability to, to oh, ad-lib yeah. in, in that? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. We, I, I, <laughs> I was working with Dom DeLuise a while back. And Sweet guy. Dom was doing voiceovers for a movie that we were doing. And he, um, he, he gets out there and, and he's going and he's going on and on and on he, he he you know he he stops for a second he says do you mind if i do go ahead you know i mean he was just so amazing cuz you can and, cut and right yeah i mean but he was just so amazing and i think that when the actors have that ability to add something i mean the written word it can be great but it's the little things that right. make it more than just a yeah you know so but when you when you do that it's it's i think that's great what was your first voiceover? Because you've been doing, you've done a lot of those. Yeah, I did uh, uh, commercials, mm-hmm. radio commercials, and uh, many of those were humorous. And uh, then uh, my commercial agent, uh, I said, you know, I really want you to start submitting me for cartoons. I think that that's a great place for me. I have a lot of different voices I can mm-hmm. use. You know, that don't even look like me. Yeah. You know. So I played, uh, uh, so the very first one I did was called The Secret of Nim, and Dom yeah. DeLuise was, Tom, played a yes. crow. Yep. At the very end of the movie, he's looking for love all his, all his life, and uh, he's kind of clumsy, his character. Mm-hmm. So I'm a clumsy crow that bumps into him, and all I do is laugh in the film, but it's right at the very end, and that was my very first uh, voiceover film role, and then based on that, then I was able to get in a little more a little cartoon like Hanna Barbera. Yeah. I was the uh, woman who owns Tom, the cat of Tom and Jerry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so there is a film. That's right. Now that you met, I can I can hear your voice. <laughs> There's a film, and at the beginning of the film, uh, it was a Tom and Jerry that was I think done for Warner Brothers, probably. And Hannah Barbera uh, did the actual work on it, and Joe Barbera directed me. And at the beginning of the film, I said, Now, Thomas, you be good and I'll be back. And then at the very end, after mayhem has occurred, of course, between Tom and Jerry, then I kept saying, What? Ha-? You know. Yeah. So I, I'm an unknown, you know, as far as the character goes, because I play old or I could, you know, be very young. ABC, what do you think of me? <laughs> so, you know, or I can be very, very, I'm the voice of the spirit woman at the, the cave bear thing in Disneyland is, oh, silence, you know. So yeah. was, I, based on my face, you expect one thing out of me, but if you see no face, if you see a drawing of something, mm-hmm. I'll just look at the drawing and I'll come up with a. I did a giant woman on Jake Long American Dragon. And she was a giant woman, which I'm not. 
yeah. <laughs> and she was a little slow. <laughs> and, and of course, on cars recently. Oh yeah, and that was the cars. upper Midwestern accent, you know, the <laughs> tourists. So, you know, and she. Why don't you just stop and ask directions? He's no, I got the GPS, Richard kind. Oh, I got the GPS, I can do it. So we just drive off into the desert and we come back all tumbleweeds in our grills because he won't ask for directions. <laughs> we got lost off the interstate and end up in, you know, Radiator Springs. Now, when you so, when you do your voiceovers, were you in the room? Were you, you know, the actually, two of you, or does it? Do they uh, use it they used to just do you individually, and uh, like when I was uh, in um, a Bug's Life, I did it all by myself. Mm -hmm. So there was there was no interplay, and later on, I know that Billy Crystal and John Goodman wanted to be in the same room when they were doing Monsters Inc. So. Um, now they set up a little separate booth so that our mics will be isolated, but we can see each other. So Richard and I were across from each other in little isolation booths, and John Lasseter and Joe Ranft were directing. So at one point they wanted the bad guy cars, the low riders, to come and threaten us because we were the two minivans. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and I said, well, what are our names? And Because we were minivan one and minivan two in the script. And he said, because we were small part. And he said, well, I, I, I don't know. Well, let's think. So we all four were just there thinking, thinking, thinking. And I went, oh, I'm Minnie. He's Van. Because <laughs> that, I had to call him something. Van, why yeah. don't you just ask directions? So I was, you know, and John and Joe were just open to, you know, that kind of input. Yeah. You know, some people say, oh, no, I'll think up the name. But it, no, it's a com completely collaborative thing that John does. And he, he's made the whole company that way. Yeah. Uh, the whole Pixar company yeah, is, is based on whoever's got an idea, is it's open. Yeah. And uh, he was so... Uh, he wanted to have these bad lowrider guys threatening us. And um, so he and Joe were running up back and forth between our booths and then leaping out at us. So, <laughs> so I could, you know, have a reaction. And they're, you know, they're both in their Hawaiian shirts and running back up and forth and having a great time. Because uh, Joe had taken improv at the Groundlings. And so um, we're... We're very sad that uh, he's left us. He was doing a um, a thing where he was working with at-risk people and uh, was giving them um, a ride to um, a retreat that they were going on and let one of the guys ri drive the car. And he took a curve too fast, and they went right off Highway 1 into the ocean. Oh. And this was a brilliant young man and hmm. left children behind it. It was just, yeah. you know, the Pixar family was a real hit. It was a real hit to all of them. It's very sad. Yeah. So, you know, you if you're a family, you're a family, and right. and yeah. that's what happens sometimes. Any so. more, that you, anything you can tell us about any more voiceovers or anything else that's coming up? Oh, uh, gosh. Well, I know I'm doing a, I don't know if it's a cartoon or a commercial uh, tomorrow. 
at oh. noon. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll be recording, and yeah. I'm going into audition for another one at 10.30 in the morning, so it's a constant um, going and trying to get a job. Yeah. My whole career is just trying to get a job. <laughs> so I, I understand you, you had a tour of Pixar yesterday? Yes. Yeah, it that was, must have been I must have great. walked two miles. That's a big building. Yeah. So... I'm uh, I'm about ready to get on the plane and go back to L.A., and I'm really pleased to have been here at this uh, great film festival. I love independent films, and uh, I, I love the way that people embrace it because uh, it's, it's great to come to a smaller place and, and be the center of attraction. That's a lovely thing. <laughs> I well, appreciate we it. We appreciate you coming. Okay, Thank thanks you very a lot. Much. And once again, I'd like to thank Edie McClure for taking the time to talk to us and uh, letting us know about her life and what's, what's going on and everything. It's always interesting to hear. I, I, I like it anyways, hearing about what these people are, are doing, how they made it into the business, got into the business and everything like that. And I um, want to thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us. And that just about does it for Episode 5 of On Screen and Beyond. And we'll be back with Episode 6 shortly. And if you would want to get in touch with me for any reason, suggestions or whatever, uh, you can contact me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. Or if you would like to, if uh, you have a question or anything and you would like to record your voice and send it as an email attachment, uh, we could, you know, sort of put it into the show there and let people know if you have a question or anything. And... Uh, haven't decided quite yet which interview we're going to be coming up next in the next episode, uh, sort of tossing it around between a couple of people. But um, that'll be coming up shortly, and I hope you'll be around and listening to it for Episode 6 coming soon on On Screen and Beyond. Thanks again. Take care. Take care.